We are in the midst of a sermon series simply entitled, What Does a Follower of Jesus Look Like? We've been thinking together about what that means to follow Jesus, what it means to be a disciple, and we're going to pursue that subject through the ninth chapter of Luke's Gospel, beginning in verse 57 in just a moment, if you want to have your Bibles open. Uh, And I'd like, before we do that, to enter into a time of prayer, a time of silence, a time to Uh, simply be in God's presence and maybe to form your own prayer, to be uh, aware of what God is speaking to you about or what you're thankful for or what you need to confess or someone you need to pray for, and I'll lead us after a, a, a time of silence. Bow with me, please. Now, Lord, there are so many things about following Jesus that we don't understand. But there are a lot more things about following Jesus that we do understand, but we choose to ignore. So we pray this morning for the courage to honestly hear the text and hear what it is that you're calling us to and away from. We want to be your disciples. We want to be a church that builds and produces followers of Jesus. We want that for our own hearts, and we want that for our church, and we want that for the larger Christian community. So guide us. We know that we each one bring into the sanctuary this morning a lot of distracting thoughts, worries about finances and job and family members and friends. There are some of our people, Lord, who are under a crushing load of physical malady or surgery or diagnosis, mental health issues, relationship struggles. Our world is broken. We need your healing as a nation. We need your guidance as a people. We need your healing of wars. We pray your blessing upon military personnel and upon refugees and the poor and the hungry. And then, Lord, hearts and minds to live what we pray, to be answers to our own prayer. So we lift up the brokenness of humanity, the brokenness of our own hearts, our own struggles and doubts, and to simply say we love you, we worship you, we confess our sin to you, we acknowledge our failures, we pray a cleansing in the blood of Christ and a refilling of the Holy Spirit and then work deeply in our hearts as we wait in your presence and stand under the authority of Scripture and stand under the authority of your truth. Together we pray in Jesus' blessed name. Amen. And now I'll read from Luke, the ninth chapter, verses 57 through the end of the chapter. And if you want to follow along in your Bibles or on the screen, I invite you to do so. And invite you to stand if you're able as we share God's Word together. As they were going along the road, someone said to Jesus, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, 
Foxes have holes, birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. To another he said, follow me. But he said, Lord, first let me go, bury, go and bury my father. But Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their own dead, but as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Another said, I will follow you, Lord, but let me first say farewell to those at my home. Jesus said to him, no one who puts a hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. The word of Jesus Christ for us. May he bless it. You may be seated. One of the things that I'm figuring out is that Luke, the writer of the third gospel, must have liked puns or play on words because he uses one here, and I I don't think I'd ever realized it before. He starts out in verse 57 by saying, as they were going along the road, and the Greek word for road is hodu or hodus, depending on how it's used in a sentence. And that, by the way, is one of the descriptions, one of the early descriptions of the Christian faith, the way or the road or the path or the route. So Luke is talking about following Jesus on the way, and he starts by saying, as they were walking on the way. In fact, chapter 9 through chapter 19 in Luke is an extended section of Scripture that has a journey theme, Jesus' journey to Jerusalem, and there's constant references to road and path and route and the way. In fact, one of the things that I want to show you this morning is the different synonyms for what it means to be a Christian, what it means to be in the faith or a follower of Jesus. And I want you to notice on the screen that uh, these are words used in Scripture to describe someone who's in the faith, one who is a, a believer. The word Christian is used. The word believer is used in Scripture. The word disciple is used. And the, the phrase, a follower of the way, is used. But you probably would be surprised to realize of all of those words up there, what's the one that is the least frequent? What's the most infrequent reference in Scripture to uh, one who's come into the faith? The answer is the first one. Only three times in the Bible is the word Christian or Christians, plural, used in the Bible. Now, that doesn't make it invalid, but it's interesting that that's the word we use the most, and in the New Testament, that's the word that's used the least. The New Testament word of preference is believer or disciple or a follower of the road or a follower of the way. And so it gives us an understanding of how important the road is. Now, speaking of the road, we should remember something. Everybody here this morning is walking some road. Everyone here this morning is walking some path. I like what Dallas Willard in his book, The Divine Conspiracy, says about this. He says, even if you're not a Christian, even if you're not a disciple of Jesus Christ, you're someone's disciple. Have you ever thought about that? Someone is teaching you how to do life. Someone or something is teaching you how to live. And even if you say that you're not a Christian, you are following down some path. You're following someone. And the key to life is figuring out, are you following the right person? And are you walking down the right path? And so that's how important the way or the path is. Several years ago, uh, 
a follower of Jesus Christ from Europe, was visiting the United States for the first time. And um, as he had toured the country for a couple of three weeks, he said to his host, he said, I've noticed that in your American churches, all the seats have cushions. And then he stopped and he paused for a moment and he said, and I've noticed in your American churches, all your sermons have cushions too. And uh, I'll admit, I've preached my share of padded sermons, sermons that talk only about the good stuff of the Christian life, sermons that talk only about the promises of God and and, uh, the cushy things about what it means to follow Jesus. And yes, we do often avoid the tough stuff, but Jesus never did. It was never fine print for Jesus. It was never deception on Jesus' part. He never pulled a punch. He always talked about how tough it would be to follow him. If I could summarize the passage of Scripture I read just a few moments ago, it would be simply this. Discipleship is following Jesus, and talk is cheap. Discipleship is following Jesus, and talk is cheap. We talk a lot lot about following Jesus but I'm not really sure how much of it we do. Um, You know, these uh, small groups that we had back in September, the Love, Grow, Serve, Dynamic Discipleship small groups, I I really got a blessing out of uh, the small group I was in. I wasn't able to attend all of them because I went to Europe on the mission trip, but I I really got blessed, and there was some great, honest, gut-level discussion about what it means to be a disciple, a follower of Jesus. And one in our group... Uh, shared a phrase that I really like, and it's sort of new to me, a phrase that particular way. And uh, at one point we were talking about how people talk discipleship, don't really do it, and he said this. He said, everybody talking loud, everybody talking loud ain't saying nothing. Everybody talking loud ain't saying nothing. And is that a pretty good description of the Christian life? Sometimes for us, everybody talking loud ain't saying nothing. And we get caught up in that, and we call it discipleship. You've heard me before reference uh, Clarence Jordan, uh, the Christian, the follower of Jesus, who was Baptist, uh, lived in South Georgia. And in the 1940s, he founded Koinonia Farm. Koinonia Farm was an early experiment in racial integration. This was the 1940s and early 1950s, when it was very unpopular. He believed that as a follower of Jesus, every person should be treated with dignity and respect and justice and equality. And he developed a farm where those kinds of relationships and those kinds of dependencies were developed. And uh, he was not popular in the Deep South. In fact, he got into it with his own biological brother. His brother didn't like what he was doing and, and was always on Clarence's case. And one time, Clarence said this to his brother. He said, you know, you and I both walked the aisle at that little Baptist church Uh, when we were kids. And Clarence said, I think you need to go back and straighten things out with that preacher and that church. He said, I think what you need to tell them is that when you came forward that day in that church, what you were really saying was that you admire Jesus, not that you wanted to follow him. That you admired Jesus, not that you wanted to follow him. And how many of us 
Probably all of us here this morning admire Jesus. But how many of us really, really want to follow? Everybody talking loud ain't saying nothing. It's an easy trap to fall into. You know, I'm a, I'm a list maker by personality. Every personality inventory I take, um, every, uh, every leadership skill and gift set thing I take, it always comes out that I'm a list maker. I make lists for what I want to accomplish every day. I made a list this morning. I make a list for every week. I make a list for every month and every quarter and every year. I have life goals. I, I'm embarrassed to admit this to you. I even make a list for my day off. I know it's sick, isn't it? It's really sick. I probably need counseling, but I'm just a, I'm just a list maker. I just feel good when I can check it off, and, and I feel like I'm more productive on my day off. I, that's sort of contradictory, but you know there's a risk for, the, for those of us who are list makers, there's a, real, there's a real hazard. And the hazard is this. Sometimes, when we put it on the list, we think we're done with it. We put it on the list, and we think we can forget about it. And you know what I'm talking about. Sometimes we put following Jesus or some specific things on a list... And then we think we're done. As individuals or a church, we think if we sing about it enough, if we pray about it and preach about it and talk about it in Sunday school class enough, we're done with it. Or here's an idea. Let's read another Max Lucado book about it or let's do another Beth Moore study about it and then we think we're done with it. But we're not. Everybody talking loud ain't saying nothing. But those of you who don't like lists, you're not off the hook. You thought I forgot about you. Spontaneous people, people who like to live in the moment, who like to wake up to a new day and just take life as it comes, there's a hazard there too. And the hazard is busy laziness. You're always busy. Your life and your calendars are always full but it's full of second-rate stuff. And it is busy laziness. Everybody talking loud ain't saying nothing. So Luke wanted us to know what a real follower of Jesus looks like. So he gave us three examples from Jesus' encounters with people. The first encounter is a volunteer who says, Lord, I want to follow you. But Jesus does a reality check with this person. He says, you better check this out because this is what following me costs. Has Jesus ever done a reality adjustment with you? Sat you down and reminded you of what it costs to follow him? He says, you know, the foxes have holes, the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. To a second person, Jesus said, you come follow me. And this person said, well, I will, but first I have to bury my father. Jesus said, let the dead bury their own dead. Now, that's pretty harsh when you consider that in the Palestinian culture of Jesus' day, that to care for aging parents all the way 
through death and burial was the supreme task of every adult child. That it was the honorable and the only thing to do in Jewish Palestinian culture that you provide for your parent a loving and appropriate burial. And Jesus comes along and says, that will take care of itself. You follow me and you go preach the kingdom. And then to a third one, uh, this third person says, you know, I'm not going to take care of my parents' funeral or anything. I just want to go tell my family goodbye. Jesus said, no, you just keep your hand to the plow and you don't even look back. Wow. Wow. This is hard stuff. And I bet I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, Doyle is going to bail us out of this scripture. He's going to fix it. He's going to find some Greek word, Greek word that, that, that's a loophole. And, and that's not really what Jesus meant. Or Jesus had a stomach ache that day and he was just extra grouchy or something. No, I'm not going to let us off the hook. Because it really says this. I sort of agree with the preacher who had preached on a tough subject like this and at the door afterwards some church member was really letting him have it about what an unpleasant sermon that was and this pastor said, oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry you ever got the impression it was my job as preacher to take the sharp, jagged edges of the gospel and break them off and make it smooth for you. That's not my job. And it's not my job to take the sharp, jagged edges of Jesus' teachings to make them palatable and comfortable for us. This is hard stuff. It's hard for me. It's hard for all of us. At the height of Hitler's reign of terror, there was a Nazi judge who was sentencing a resistance worker to death because this person had worked against Nazi uh, reign and rule. And this resistor was a Christian, and this Nazi judge, it's, it's recorded uh, in the annals, this Nazi judge arrogantly said to this Christian as he was sentencing him to death, he said, you know, at least we Nazis and you Christians have one thing in common. We both claim the total person. And you know what? That Nazi judge was wrong on almost everything in his life and certainly what he was banking his life on, but he was right about that. At least he got what it meant to be a follower of Jesus, that it claims the total person. I was really helped by this uh, when I heard a seminary professor say, he said, when we avoid discipleship, when we take discipleship and we thin it down, like thinning down soup, when we take discipleship and we thin it down, what we're doing is losing the antibodies that help us resist the infection of culture. Now, I'm going to say that again. When we thin down and avoid discipleship, we are losing the antibodies that help us 
fight off the infection of culture. You know what antibodies are? I want to show you a couple of pictures of antibodies fighting infections in the human body. There's one picture, and here's a second one. That's the only one you got. You only loaded one. Well, that's, that'll do then. Of the two, that's the one I wanted. Life is good. I mean, it's enormous the kind of wars that go on inside the human body all the time. And, and this seminary professor said, to, to, have a, to have a deeper discipleship, to understand the cost, is to actually equip ourselves to fight off the infection of culture. You, you know, we're always blaming culture. We want culture to be amenable to us. We want culture to fix our Christian problems. We want culture to be kinder to us. It's not culture's problem. It's our job to follow Jesus and to deepen our discipleship. Jesus calls on us to stop accommodating culture and its norms. Jesus calls on us to put him first, to have an allegiance to him that is higher and stronger than any allegiance we have in life. Is this hard to hear? Yes. But is it the gospel of Jesus Christ? Yes. I think one of the key words in this passage is the little word first. Because in the second and third example that Luke gives us, Uh, The one person says, I will follow you, but first let me go bury my father. The third person says, I will follow you, but first let me say goodbye. Jesus seems to bristle over that word first. And you know what Jesus said about first. Someone has said that the key to life is the art of knowing what to ignore. The key to life is the art of knowing what to omit, what to leave out. So that the real battle for us as followers of Jesus is not always between good and evil. The real battle for us as followers of Jesus is the battle not only between good and evil, but between good and best. Between good and best. And that's tough, isn't it? When Benedict of Nursia founded his uh, 6th century uh, monastic life, uh, Benedict established and wrote this rule of Benedict, which, which was a way of communal living. He invited people to come and uh, to live together in communal experience. And he wrote, he wrote a book, a Rule of Benedict, And one of the rules was that when you came into the order, when you came to live there, you were to take off your street clothes and hang them in the closet and put on the habit, the very simple, humble robe. But you were to hang your clothes in the closet, not burn them, and not throw your street clothes away, although you were to stay uh, with that commune for the rest of your life. And people wondered for a while, why not burn those street clothes of your previous life? Why not throw them away or give them away? And the answer was this. Every morning when the person woke up, he was to look in the closet 
and to be able to make the choice all over again to follow Jesus, to leave the old behind. That it wasn't just a one-time thing, that commitment is persistent. It's persistent and it never is done. That every morning we make up our mind to follow Jesus. Every morning we make choices about being a Christ follower. We have that freedom, but we have that responsibility every day to choose Jesus. It's a persistent kind of choice. That's why I think that the closing image that Jesus gives us is apt. No one who puts a hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. I know something about plowing. I plowed my share of fields as a boy on the farm. And uh, there's just nothing like plowing fallow ground that hasn't been turned over in a while. You're out in this open field and you're cutting the first furrow in the field, and the job is to make it straight, because Dad's going to check. And if you're always looking back at where you've been, your furrow is going to zig, and it's going to zag, and it's going to be very, very improper for a farmer. So what you do is you get on the tractor, and you get a sight line. You, you pick something on the horizon, a grove of trees, uh, something far off, and you keep looking at it the whole time you're plowing. You don't look back. You just, you just keep looking at it. And you keep looking at it. And you persistently look at it. And when you do that, you plow a straight line. Jesus is calling us to keep our eyes on the kingdom. Jesus is calling us to be persistent and to choose every morning to follow him to keep our eyes on Jesus and to not waver and to not look back, but to follow, to follow every morning and every day. Let's bow our heads together.